expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's time. It's time. Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin. Good evening. And joining me from Taichung, we're joined by Compass Magazine's Donovan Smith. Donovan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, we made it through one whole show without covering a food scare, but couldn't quite make it past the second one. Uh, This week, Taiwan recalled hundreds of food items imported from Japanese prefectures that had been affected by the 2011 nuclear disaster. Now, Taiwan banned food imports from those areas after Japan was hit by a massive earthquake and tsunami that caused the meltdown at uh, its Fukushima nuclear plant. Uh, So based on the latest reporting, it looks like label tampering is uh, probably to blame for this food getting in here. Is that right, Gavin? Yeah, they believe it is label tampering, but they still don't know which end the labels were tampered on. Whether it's Japan or Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, there isn't the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office yesterday announced that it is going to open an investigation into which end these labels were tampered on basically, because, of course, apparently the labels were covered up. So the original Japanese labels were covered up with Chinese language labels, which dictated that the products weren't actually manufactured in the areas they were manufactured in. So the products would have these extra labels on in Chinese that said the point of origin was either Tokyo, Osaka, Hokkaido. And apparently in some, some circumstances, the products were manufactured in the United States for some reason or other. Oh, so it got past borders control, didn't know that it was from those affected areas. Yeah, correct. But so far, uh, at least the nuclear tests that have been done on that have all been cleared. Is that right? Yeah, the Atomic Energy Council announced Thursday evening that they tested well over 350 food products imported from the prefectures affected by the meltdown at the Fukushima plant, and none so far have shown any sign of radiation. So it seems at least so far that there probably isn't any significant uh, danger to, you know, probably not a big public health concern. But this is kind of bad press for Taiwan's FDA, you know, after we've already had so many food scares here. It kind of calls into question their ability to sort through all this stuff. And there's been some finger pointing at them already. Isn't that right? Well, there has been, uh, but there's also been finger pointing at the at, the, at, at customs officials, and um, so there's, there's sort of a lot of blame to go around on this one. But here's something interesting: is that actually the Japanese government has been repeatedly lobbying the uh, the government here to lift the ban on the on food from the Fukushima area. And they're saying that, uh, and here's a quote, it is true that Japan has made such request actually more than once over the years since the 2011 Fukushima Daiichi meltdown. It stressed that its nation's food products were safe, and to my knowledge, many other countries have agreed to similar requests. So right now, the government is actually considering lifting the ban on food from that area. Right. And earlier this week, uh, Minister of Health and Welfare uh, Changbin Huang did acknowledge that the ministry is considering that. Uh, but some, at least one member of the Democratic Progressive Party is saying that that's not a good idea. And uh, compared to China, at least, Taiwan's bans aren't quite as stringent as what China has in place. So there, there is a little bit of tension here, you know, uh, definitely differences of minds on this point. Right. Of course, the policy that Japan did introduce for other countries was they had a certification piece of paper that came with all of the products from these areas announcing or stating that they were free of radioactive substances. And uh, Taiwan currently doesn't have that in place. No. 
All right, moving on to another story that kind of touches on international relations uh, with Taiwan. This week saw the passing of former Singapore Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew, known the world over as the chief architect of his home nation's rapid ascent to prosperity. Here in Taiwan, though, he's been remembered in a slightly different way. Over the last week, political leaders from both parties have lauded him as a friend and ally and a bridge builder in cross-strait relations. Uh, so it's certainly true that Taiwan has a special relationship with Singapore. You know, Singapore is one of only two nations that recognizes China, but also has a trade deal in place with Taiwan, also has close military relationship. Uh, but how much did Lee Kuan Yew contribute to that special relationship, uh, Gavin? And well, of course, Lee was instrumental in getting Taiwan and China to sit down in the early 1990s during the Gu Wang talks, of course, which kicked off cross-strait rapprochement, as they're calling it now. And and so hosting that was kind of his role in in getting that moving. Right. Yeah. It was complete. Yeah. It was his idea. I mean, he 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 obviously knew that he had to play both sides. But uh, he was kind of hands off during those talks, right? He didn't take a very direct role. Not a direct role, but I mean, he was him that instigated it, him that set it up, and him that invited the participants for a venue because, of course, a venue back then was incredibly difficult to get. Uh, and and Donovan, what what kind of events would you point to out of, out of the history there? Well, I mean, he visited Taiwan more than 25 times, which I think is, is quite notable. Uh, and, uh, of course, obviously there's that trade pact. Um, but uh, yeah, he also had very personal relationships with uh, a lot of Taiwan's leaders, and or at least uh, local leaders have claimed such. For example, uh, President Ma said that he had a deep friendship with the Lee fa- family for the last 30 years, and that it dated all the way back to when he was the translator for Jing Jingguo in the 1980s. Well, we have to keep that in perspective, of course, because earlier this week I spoke with Ross Feingold of the Washington-based DC International Advisory, and he argued that with the passing of Lee Kuan Yew so fresh in everybody's minds, it's still very tempting to overstate his role in ties with Taiwan and ties with China. Subsequently, you know, Lee Kuan Yew took a very one-sided position on cross-strait relations in that he, he was very adamant in his opposition to Taiwan independence. So, uh, hard to say that he was a neutral interlocutor uh, over the more recent decades, but but certainly he was kind enough to offer Singapore as a location for those first talks, and that that was a significant step in in uh, breaking the the ice uh, between mainland and ROC. But uh, obviously, subsequently, Lee Kuan Yew had, had issues with things Lee Dong Hoi said, and again, he was he was adamantly against Taiwan independence. But then Ross went on to say that Lee was significant in strengthening military ties between Taiwan and Singapore, which, of course, is very important. Singapore has maintained military training exercises here in Taiwan, so I mean, that, that, that's very important for Taiwan in that it, it offers some level of connectivity with other militaries separate from the United States. Uh, China put pr- tremendous pressure on Singapore to discontinue that, and Singapore declined that could change in the future now that Lee Kuan Yew has passed away. It was partially based on the personal relationship that Lee Kuan Yew had initially with Zhang Jingguo, the former president. So uh, whether that will continue remains to be seen and it will be a key key item uh, to to evaluate in the relationship. Yeah, so what we can hear from that is that there is... A special relationship between Taiwan and Singapore, but it's also a balancing act. You know, Singapore wants to be friends with everybody, and that means friends with China, friends with Taiwan. Uh, and we really saw that balancing act on display uh, when on Tuesday, President Ma Ying-jeou made an impromptu, low-key trip to Singapore. And, it, you know, it was low-key for this very reason. Donovan, can you tell us a little bit about that trip? 
Well, yeah, he actually went to the private family wake, which I thought was a, a very clever bit of uh, diplomatic dancing. Um, so he actually got to be right in, in the prime minister's residence with the grieving family, but didn't, of course, go to the estate uh, function. So that... Uh, so being in a private capacity, that meant that China really couldn't complain. Now, China had a very low-key response on this, uh, just simply reiterating that they expected uh, Singapore to uphold the one-China principle. But, uh, they, uh, but Taiwan did send ex-Vice President Lian Zhan, also Vincent Xu, uh, Hao Poqun and uh, Su Zhengtang, uh, these are all former premiers and vice presidents, again, all, and they went to the state dinner, once again, though, all as personal friends uh, of Lee Kuan Yew. Right, of course, former Vice President Vincent Xiao is, is attending the state funeral this coming Sunday in a capacity as a, f- a private citizen. Right, so also trying to keep a low profile there. Uh, But some international media outlets have called this uh, the fact that President Ma even went to Singapore uh, as something of a diplomatic victory. Isn't that right, Gavin? That was the British weekly The Economist, who this week hailed the trip by Ma Ying-jeou to Singapore to pay his respects to Lee Kuan Yew as a diplomatic coup for Taiwan. Of course, his, his trip to Singapore did sort of raise questions here in Taiwan, because, of course, the president disappeared from Taiwan without telling anybody, which, of course, the DPP were saying, well, how can the president simply leave the country without sort of telling people first? Yeah, a, a quote from uh, a, one DPP legislator kind of caught my eye. Uh, Chen Mai said, the head of the country is required to explain his motive when leaving the country. Otherwise, how do we know that he is not absconding with money on a plane? So definitely a lot of eyebrows raised there. Yes, I believe in the in the in the same. I think we may have read the same article. Also, uh, DPP legislator uh, Guambiling said that no matter how much she dislikes dictators, she still hoped that Lee Kuan Yew may rest in peace. And it's very interesting. I noticed some uh, some of the responses that we got locally. Uh, the Taipei Times called uh, Ma's quote low low profile trip, saying it was insulting to Taiwan. Whereas the UDN actually said that Singapore's political and economic structure differs little, little from Plato's ideal state and features a philosopher king, Lee Kuan Yew, and a ruling elite, which is also very interesting. Um, I also found it very interesting that new Taipei Mayor Eric Chu, who doubles as, who is obviously the KMT chairman, said that Lee Kuan Yew is Taiwan's, quote, best friend. There's, there's a lot of very interesting responses to, to his to his passing, I felt, here locally. Now, of course, Tsai Ing-wen kind of had some nice things to say about Lee Kuan Yew, but looking at all of those various different responses, Donovan, would you say that it splits down party lines in any way, or, or is it really just a mixed bag? I think more or less it broke down on party lines. It's, it struck me that, uh, that uh, Tsai, I, I, I don't have her exact quote, but it was kind of a, a damning with faint praise, in a sense, or it was a very cool sort of, he improved the economy and that was about it, kind of praise. It wasn't very effusive. And that was about as positive a God as I saw on the, uh, on the green side. All right. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave that more international story for something that's a lot more local. And uh, this one taking place in Taichung. So we're very lucky to have Donovan with us today as a Taichung local. The city's troubled bus rapid transit system, less than a year into its operation, is now already set to be scrapped. Well, sort of, kind of, halfway. 
Taichung Mayor Lin Jialong already last year announced an expert task force that was going to come up with a plan for what to do with Taichung's BRT. Keep it, replace it, do something else. This week, they announced uh, what they came up with, and that is basically uh, keeping in place some of the infrastructure, but allowing more bus lines to go through those lanes. Uh, he's calling it optimized, dedicated bus lanes. So, Donovan, uh, tell us what this is going to mean. According to Lin Jialong, Taichung has never actually had a BRT. He's called the current system still unborn or unformed and has called the entire thing a scam. Now, he set up that, that panel and he also had the city government conduct a poll of, of public opinion. Now, the poll found, uh, at least according to, to, to the city, that something like over 70% uh, approve of a, of a dual-use system. So the, so the system will be converted on July 8th to a kind of a priority bus lane. So some of the buses that move on the slow lane on Taiwan Boulevard will also join the BRT on that uh, on that on that lane. So you touched on this a moment ago. You said you know Lin Jialong was saying that this wasn't quite a proper uh, BRT system. Does this new plan address those concerns? It, are the experts saying that this new plan will kind of take away those things that he was worried about? No, basically he's going to turn this into a bus, uh, an express bus lane. That that's really what it comes down to. Now, he's going to be taking down the words BRT from the system. He's going to be dropping the name. Uh, this is now just simply a bus lane. So is this giving up? Would, would that be a fair characterization? More or less, yes. Um, now, he does actually want to move ahead with a lot of what would have uh, underlined the BRT in the sense of a, a, a command center that really was never properly uh, built so that the timing could be better. Uh, in theory, what's supposed to happen is that People with a, with a BRT is that they're supposed to get to the station. They swipe in. They're all ready to board. The, bu- the bus pulls up very much like a train. You get on, and then you know everybody gets on very quickly. They get off very quickly. And then there's a command and control center, which makes sure that the timing of the buses or the, you know, the bus rapid transits and the traffic lights and all of this are timed very perfectly so that they never actually have to stop. Now, He's moving ahead with the command and control center, but he's dropping the rapid uh, bo- boarding and uh, and uh, getting off of the of the BRT. So it's kind of a, a mixed approach. Right, of course, the transport ministry here in Taipei, rather than simply being irked about this, has said that basically Taichung can keep 188 million NT in subsidies, which were already in place to help with related BRT facilities, which is quite nice of them, really. Yes. But, of course, there is a catch to that. Taichung City government has to use the money to promote public transportation. Right, so I guess in their book, as long as it's promoting rapid transit in Taichung, it's money well spent. Yeah, there's a great quote in one of the newspapers this week in which a Ministry of Transport official was quoted as saying, the format which the BRT adopts doesn't really make much difference. <laughs> whether it's a bus or whether it's a aeroplane. metro, airplane, might be going too far with catapult, doesn't matter. So for a lot of us that uh, don't live in Taichung, this might seem like, I don't know, kind of a difficult story to get into because it's just about public transportation. Uh, But there's also been some allegations of uh, corruption involved in the construction of the BRT. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, yes, uh, that the Taiwan Tower uh, have been sent to the city government's ethics department. Now, it should note not to prosecutors, but have been sent to the city ethics department for investigation. Now, most of the allegations or suspicions center around uh, construction cost inflation. In other words, the original quote versus the uh, the, the final budget outlay. Now, um, the city government, when when they were conducting the poll on the public's views on the BRT, actually asked the question in a city government poll, do you think that there was fraud involved in the construction of the BRT? And 60%, over 60% said uh, yes. Now, the way that the government has been approaching this and, and that poll kind of bring up something that I wanted to ask about. Uh, there has been a little bit of a backlash. Not everybody is thrilled with this idea of throwing out the BRT. Some people are saying, you know, it's wasting money, wasting a good plan. Uh, and other people are even going so far as to say that Lin Jialong is only throwing this out uh, because it was a plan of his predecessor, Jason Hu. Uh, so what have you been hearing about that? Well, yes, actually, there are a fair number of people who, who actually are defending the BRT, and there's a, a, a petitions are being... Uh, uh, raised, but yeah, a lot of uh, there's. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about this that they feel that, uh, that this, the Taiwan Tower, other projects that the mayor is very intentionally going after anything associated with Jason Hu, and this could be in part because uh, he's basically playing a long-term political strategy, which is to make sure that after three fairly popular terms under Jason Hu, that he overturns the image of the positive image of his tenure so that when it comes around for re-election, he can play the card of you wouldn't want to go back to that. So definitely a lot of question marks still remaining with regard to where public transportation in Taichung is going to go. So we're going to stay on that in the future. All right. Well, uh, we often in the news get caught up focusing on the bad stuff, the jury stuff, but hopefully this evening's last story will help it all go down a little bit easier. A Taiwan-produced whiskey has earned the title of Best Single Malt in the World for 2015, uh, according to the World Whiskey Awards, who gave the top prize to Kavalin Solist Vino Barique, made by King Cars Distillery in Elon County. Now, uh, Gavin, this award really caught people uh, kind of off guard around the world, and we've been seeing a lot of uh, reaction. Yes, it's certainly been grabbing the headlines across the world with the New York Daily News running a headline that said, Sorry, Scotland, Taiwan's Cavalan named world's best single malt whiskey. Time magazine said, You won't believe where the world's best whiskey comes from. Fox News, whiskey from Taiwan named best in world. And the Scotsman, Taiwan whiskey beats scotch to top award. <laughs> and the Telegraph, the world's best whiskey, question mark. It comes from Taiwan. Boom. From Taiwan. Uh, and especially impressive about this is, of course, there was, uh, there, there was a monopoly in Taiwan uh, on liquor and spirits until 2002. So th this was not a competitive sector. Uh, this particular distillery only started functioning back in 2005. So they developed this very, very fast. Um, I actually had a chance to talk with the distillery's blender, Ian Chong, over the phone earlier this week. And as I mentioned, you know, they're located in Elon. And he told me that that location was actually one of the keys to their quick success the reason for cho choosing uh, Elan is because uh, number one it has plenty of quality water here uh, Elan County is actually the only county in Taiwan where you don't have any water shortage problem and uh, 
also number two is you know very industrial free county. So for these two reasons, uh, we chose the location Elan because uh, as you know, when you want to make quality whiskey, you need to have a very good environment with clean water and pure air to make sure that the maturation process goes very uh, nicely. And the name Kavlan, that is actually the old name for County Elan. About I was told 100 years ago, when the uh, the indigenous tribe of Kavlan, they you know used to stay here. Right. So this is a pretty impressive uh, award that it got this year. But it's not the first award that it's gotten, right, Donovan? Yes. Well, it's also won the New World Whiskey of the Year and the Whiskey Bible, which is. Uh, written by the respected drinks connoisseur Jim Murray. Uh, it's also won the Gold Award for the Beverage Tasting Institute in 2012, and it's also in Ian Buxton's 2010 one, uh, book, uh, 101 Whiskeys to Try Before You Die. <laughs> so uh, uh, so I'm assuming neither of you, this is a pretty high-end whiskey, uh, I'm assuming neither of you have uh, had a chance to try this yet? Oh, not me, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried a Cavalan, but I don't think I've tried this particular one. But when it uh, won the award, it was described as surprisingly smooth on the palate, like bourbon-infused milk chocolate. Oh, okay. Definitely worth uh, giving a shot, I suppose. Give it a shot. Yeah, all right. For our listeners out there, uh, of course, remember to drink responsibly. Do not drink and drive. That is all that we have time for. Uh, that's it for the show today. It's our second show, actually. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's major stories. You can leave that on our Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program in its entirety online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Thank you, Gavin. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. And Donovan Smith. Thank you as well. And thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, www.icrt.com.tw. Now, keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.